with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 32. We're going to focus on verses 22 through 32 today. These are the words of God. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? He said, Jacob. And he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. He said, Why is it you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for gathering us together today to hear your word, to be instructed by you. We pray, God, that as you speak to us, that you would help us to hear clearly what it is that you are saying to the church, that you would give us ears to hear your truth contained in this passage today. Enliven our hearts. Open our eyes. Make us ready to receive it, we pray. Amen. Okay, so how do we get to this point in our story? Um, If you remember, last week we looked at Isaac, and Isaac um, was an oppressor. He oppressed his son Jacob. And we finished up Isaac's story by seeing how Isaac finally repented of the way that he had been favoring the rejected son over the promised son with whom God was well pleased. And we saw the fruit of that repentance. Isaac turned and he actually blessed Jacob as he should have from the start. Isaac preferred Esau over Jacob throughout their entire lives and This is just the way that it always was. Uh, Finally, we see at the end of that story, Rebekah and Jacob actually have to come and deceive Isaac so that he will put the blessing in its proper place. And we then see that he does so in repentance by blessing Jacob. What happens after this? Let's talk about some of the events in Jacob's life leading up until this point so we can get a little bit of context for what we're going to talk about here today in our passage. Um, After Esau realizes that Isaac has blessed Jacob, 
instead of him, Esau vows to kill Jacob. And his mother, Rebekah, knows of this vow, and therefore she ushers off her son Jacob to her brother's Laban, her brother Laban's house to find a wife for himself so that Esau can't kill him. For, let's say that for about 18 or 20 years, Jacob dealt with this favoritism in his household, his father favoring his brother over him. And from biblical chronology, we can tell that Jacob was about 77 years old when he is sent off to his mother's brother's house to find a wife. So that means for 57 years, we need to get that in perspective, for 57 years of his life, his father has been favoring his brother over him, and he has dealt with this impression. And we would think that that left an impression on Jacob's life, wouldn't you, on his life? So Isaac sends Jacob off to find a wife, and shortly thereafter, God comes to Jacob in a dream at night, and he sees this ladder extending up into heaven, and on the ladder, the angels of God are ascending and descending. If you look at chapter 28, verses 12 through 17, we see that. Chapter 28, verse 12. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. So, what does God do here? He renews covenant with Jacob. If you remember, this is the same covenant that God has been making with all of his ancestors throughout the book of Genesis. Um, God has determined that he is going to carry on the original promise that he made in the Garden of of Eden now with Jacob. Um, Jacob is going to be fruitful and multiply. Remember that language? God tells Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply. He's going to have many descendants. He's going to give his descendants a land, the land that Jacob is in, and he is going to bless them and cause his family to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. So again, same promises, Renewed and reiterated once again. The same story is being continued here today. Then, just as his forefathers, uh, Jacob is tested. Remember the story of Abraham and Isaac? First God comes and makes a promise to them, and then he tests him. You may remember the story. 
um, when Jacob is sent off to his uncle Laban's house, immediately uh, he begins to favor one of Jacob's daughters, Rachel. And right off the bat, his uncle Laban starts to oppress him. He first acknowledges that Jacob is one of his family members. He says that you are my sister's son, but then he says that you will work for wages. What will be the wages that I will pay you while you're in my home? So he essentially begins to treat Jacob like a servant and not a family member. He's basically telling him, while you're here, you are going to work for me. He takes the um, affection that Jacob has for Rachel and he begins to exploit it. And so the story goes, um, Jacob agrees to serve Laban for seven years for his daughter, Rachel. And on the night that um, Jacob and Rachel are supposed to be married, Laban comes in under the cover of night and gives his other daughter, Leah, to Jacob instead of Rachel, and he ends up consummating the marriage with the wrong woman. And, of course, Jacob is devastated in the morning when he wakes up and realizes what his uncle Laban has done. He has bitterly deceived him and... So Jacob, loving this woman, Rachel, agrees to work another seven years in the house of Laban for the woman that he loved. So for 14 years, he works under his uncle Laban, essentially as a slave. Uh, He doesn't receive anything except the means to live, and in the end, um, his bride. But... The entire time Jacob is in Laban's house, Laban prospers because God is with Jacob. Remember, God is determined to bless Jacob. And so God blesses all of Jacob's efforts while he is in the household of Laban. Therefore, when Jacob decides that it's time for him and his family to leave, Laban comes up with a plot to exploit Jacob all the more. He says, why don't you pasture my flocks for a little while longer? And Jacob agrees to do so, but he says, you have to give me the spotted and the speckled sheep and goats for my wages. And what Laban does is he takes all the spotted and speckled sheep and goats and he removes them before Jacob even has a chance to pasture him so he's not going to have any flock for himself when the thing is all said and done. But God miraculously causes the sheep and the goats to bear speckled and spotted um, children. (laughs) And so he prospers Jacob anyway. So Jacob becomes a rich man while he's in Laban's household, and the sons of Laban begin to become envious of him. And uh, during this time, Laban actually changes Jacob's wages ten times, and he devours all the money that his daughters would have as an inheritance, the two daughters that are now Jacob's. And so He's basically trying to take everything that he can away from Jacob. He's become a tyrant and an oppressor to him. And this is where God comes to Jacob and he says that it's enough. Uh, We pick that up in chapter 31, if you have your Bible. Verse 3 of chapter 31 Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I 
will be with you. So in the end, Jacob had served like a slave in the household of Jacob, uh, in the household of Laban, uh, for 20 years. He is now 97 years old uh, when God tells him to go back to the promised land of Canaan. He's 97 at this point. He's 77 when he got there, serves him 20 years. He's headed back home, 97 years old. And God had made him a rich man in the household of Laban, uh, as I said. Uh, he now has many male and female servants. He has flocks and herds. He has two wives, and he has 11 children. So Jacob and his family have become a decent little caravan. And now as Jacob is on his way back to the promised land, uh, he hasn't forgotten what Esau said before he left. He hasn't forgotten the vow that his brother has made to kill him. And so he decides that he is going to send a delegation of servants to Esau to tell Esau of all that God has done and how he has prospered him in the way. He's hoping to hear back that Esau is no longer angry with him. But what he hears is that Esau is actually on his way out to meet him with 400 men. (laughs) So naturally, Jacob is a little bit worried at this point. And so what he does is he organizes his servants and his flocks in delegations to send them to um, his brother Esau in different droves. So Jacob's plan is for Esau to receive one group after the other of these animals as a blessing and as a gift to Esau. So he would receive one group and then another group with more animals and more gifts and then another group and then another group. And so he's hoping to appease the wrath of Esau. He's hoping that he can finally put the enmity between him and his brother to rest once and for all. And after this, Jacob ushers his immediate family off across the river to safety and then he is left alone at night by himself. And that is where we pick up our story. So now that we have a little bit of context going into our passage, we can understand a little bit better what's going on here. We can dive in and make some sense out of it. So back in chapter 32, looking again at verses 22 through 24, the same night he arose and took his two wives his two female servants and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now, if you were Jacob, who would you think this is wrestling with you at night? Put yourself into Jacob's shoes for a moment. For a hundred years, you have been dealing with all sorts of oppression from your family members. So who could it be? Well, there's three candidates. Of course, Esau, his father Isaac, and his uncle Laban. Surely, right off the bat, he's thinking it's Esau, right? He's just heard that Esau is on his way out to meet him with 400 Men, so maybe Esau found out where Jacob was all by himself, and under the cover of night, he snuck up on him and jumped on his back, right? Surely it's, it's Esau. Esau has hated them from their birth. He was promised 
to be the blessed child from birth. His, he, he got his brother Esau to sell him his birthright for a bowl of stew. His father, um, he, he, he deceived his father into blessing him instead of Esau. It's got to be Esau, right? But maybe it's not. Maybe it's Isaac. Maybe, maybe Isaac has <clears throat> caught back up with Jacob. Um, remember, Isaac oppressed Jacob in the house for 57 years of his life. For 57 years. and So maybe Isaac has heard that Jacob is on his way back into the land, and he knows that God has prospered him, and that he's rich now, and he has all kinds of flocks and herds and male and female servants, so he's going to take advantage of him again. So Isaac sneaks up on him at night, maybe. He sees where Jacob is hiding, and he jumps on his back. I mean, Isaac still had it in him. He wasn't going to die for another 23 years, so he could be fighting with Jacob here in the night. He could be wrestling with him. But let's not forget about his uncle Laban. Laban (laughs) has been left with nothing, essentially, uh, when Jacob leaves his house, um, Jacob leaves with his two daughters and uh, all kinds of male and female servants and flocks and herds. And while Jacob was in his house, Laban prospered. But when he left, it seemed as if he had lost nothing. So maybe it's Laban. Maybe Laban has come back and decided to exact some more from him. He's not going to let... Um, Jacob get away with all of these possessions. He's going to take him back home and bring him into bondage again and make him a slave. But in all this wrestling, Jacob realizes something. This is not a man that is wrestling with him at all, but it is God. The man he's wrestling with just touches his hip socket and it is, it is thrown out of joint. So all this time, Jacob has been wrestling with God. He's been wrestling with the divine. And he will not let him go. He says, I will not let you go until you bless me. You looked at it in uh, verse 25. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. <clears throat> then he said, let me go. For the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. This is such an interesting story. Uh, Jacob wrestles with God here. And you would think that he loses, right? <laughs> but he wins. God, he, God actually has to tell him, let go of me. Uh, but Jacob will not. And he keeps wrestling with him. He says, I won't do it until you bless me. And then God turns around and he changes his name to um, Israel instead of Jacob. Why? Because he has wrestled with God and man and has prevailed. Jacob is a God wrestler. Here his name is changed from Jacob, that is one who supplants another, 
And we could surmise from our story that he was supplanting them through wrestlings to Israel. That is one who strives with God. And we see in our story that he does that by wrestling. Jacob's life has been one of wrestling. His whole life he has been wrestling from his birth. He wrestled with his brother Esau in the womb. And he wrestled with him over the birthright. And he wrestled with his father Isaac to to receive the blessing that he rightly deserved. And he wrestled with his uncle Laban to receive the wife that he rightly deserved. And now at the end of it all, God says, I will rename you Israel because you have wrestled with God and man and prevailed. So what does this tell us? Well, that it was God who was wrestling with Jacob all of his life. Who was it that said that the older would serve the younger from the very beginning? Well, it was God. So God had set up this tension in the home from the start. And as a result, his brother fought with him, his father oppressed him, and his uncle deceived him. And if you think about it, Jacob would have never been a thorn in the side of any of these men if it wasn't for the promise of God. Esau would have received the double portion. Isaac could have went on favoring Esau, and he never would have been sent off to Laban's house in the first place. But God didn't want it that way. Through Isaac and Esau and Laban, God wrestled with Jacob. Why? Because he wants Jacob to receive the blessing. He wants Jacob to be trained through the wrestling that he does with God. He wants Jacob to be refined. He wants Jacob to persevere. And the only way that Jacob would learn to do this is if he wrestled. Jacob is the God wrestler. All his life, he has been wrestling with God. And here at this point, he finally gets the victory. The text tells us that he wrestles with God until the breaking of day. And this can be used as an analogy for Jacob's life. All of Jacob's life up until this point has been one of wrestling in the dark. But finally, he realizes who has been wrestling with him all along. It was God. God was preparing him for this final wrestling match. And there's no way that Jacob would have been able to wrestle with God like this if he hadn't been wrestling with him all of his life. You see, Jacob wrestles with God in our story, and he wins. Did you get that? So Jacob has been trained. He has endurance, and therefore he is able to persevere. And the sun comes up on Jacob, which is a sign of victory as he's limping away. And this is something that we must notice. Jacob doesn't walk away from this unscathed. Verses 30 through 32, we read, So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. 
Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. So he now has a limp now for the rest of his life as a result of his wrestlings with God. And now the Israelites don't eat that part of the thigh as a way to remember what God had did uh, to Jacob here in our story. That muscle on the thigh becomes a memorial, a way for Israel to remember all that God had done in the life of Jacob. And it's to be a constant reminder to Israel of God's work in Jacob's life, even during his time of suffering, and it is to be a constant reminder to us of the same. Brothers and sisters, we're supposed to look at the life of Jacob and learn something. Jacob's story is our story. Do you ever feel like your life is one big wrestling match after the other? Just constantly wrestling? When you were younger, kids and teenagers, you had your brothers and sisters that you had to fight with. They're always trying to win the favor of your parents over you. They're always trying to get one over on you. They're always trying to blame you for something and point the finger at you. And in school, there's the kids that try to bully you, and there's the tests that you can't pass and the game that you can't win. And as you get older, you're fighting to figure out who you are. You're fighting, struggling with doubts and insecurities about who you're going to be in this world, who you're going to become, what crowds you want to hang out with, what sports you're going to play, what you're going to do when you get out of high school, who you're going to be in this world. And when we grow up and have children and start families, it's all the same. We have to start adulting, as they say, nowadays. And we have employers that want to take advantage of us, right? And kids that don't want to listen to us, especially when we try to brush their hair, become wild little animals and you have to wrestle them down. (laughs) There's living situations that don't accommodate us, expenses that we cannot incur, relationships that seem to only take and never give. You've got that family member that's always trying to get one over on you. There's those people that hate you and they're always saying things behind your back that are not even true. And You have a reputation that you're trying to uphold and goals that you're trying to attain trying to get our finances in order, and we're striving, constantly striving for unity with our family and with our jobs and with our communities, and it's like we're constantly fighting, we're constantly wrestling. And in all these things, God is wrestling with us. And He's inviting us to struggle after Him, to continue to turn to Him in prayer when the times are tough, and to turn to Him and confess our sins to Him when we've sinned and to confide in our brothers and sisters and turn to them for help when we need it. And then guess what? There's another trial and another fight and another struggle and we've got to wrestle again. And as we keep wrestling, guess what? God is teaching us to fight. He's teaching us to wrestle and He's preparing us for that final wrestling match so that we might wrestle him unto the death. Because you know, there's some people that give up when the going gets tough. Later on, 
in life, struggles, the pain, suffering, they turn back and they give up. Why? Because they don't know how to fight. They don't know how to struggle. They've never had to do it. But this is how God trains us. This is how God strengthens us. This is how God teaches us to overcome, to win the battle, to have the victory. But we must never stop fighting. We must keep struggling. We must keep wrestling, knowing that He is struggling with us. Many times we will be left with bumps and bruises and cuts and contusions and hips that are thrown out of socket and limps and scrapes and scars and loss and suffering and all of the rest. But in all these things, we must remember that God is wrestling with us. We are fighting with Him and He is fighting with us. And the longer we fight and the longer we wrestle, the more we learn how to fight and to wrestle. And soon enough, we will get the victory. But we must continue day in and day out, never giving up. We must fight and we must keep wrestling. And we must remember Jacob, the God wrestler, because in his story, we learn how to wrestle with God. Let's pray.